Have you ever dreamed of becoming an interior designer? You don't want to go back to university, you don't want to work for a large firm, but you just don't know how to get started. You want flexibility, you want to pursue your passion, and you want to make income. Well, you should definitely check out the Uploft Interior Design Academy. It's my proprietary program that I've used internally for years and have made available to the public. Not only do you get video modules that you can take at your own pace, but you also get one-on-one coaching sessions with me, group coaching sessions with our Facebook group of Academy students, and so much more. If you're interested, Get more information and sign up for an exploratory call with me at affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. Once again, that's affordableinteriordesign.com slash academy. It's time to start living the life of your dreams. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy Hellman. hi everyone happy december can you believe it i know people often say that time flies that the time between thanksgiving and christmas is just wild and a blur and super fast, but this year it really feels like that's on overdrive. I cannot believe how the days are zooming by and it's a little overwhelming. Are you guys overwhelmed? I'm overwhelmed, but you know what's been coming up for me? So we're really busy over here at Affordable Interior Design. Lots going on. We're rebranding everything. We're getting a new company name. The podcast name will shift only slightly. So keep an eye open for these changes. But it's all in a day's work as an entrepreneur because I'm constantly thinking goals. So I know that typically we wait another month to think about goals, right? Like typically as a collective community, January is goal time. But as an entrepreneur, I have goals every week. I have goals every month. I have goals every year, of course. And then of I'm always trying to create those three and five-year goals as well, which are always more difficult for me, you know, glimpsing the future, imagining how to get there. But I think those are probably the most important ones. I wanted to kick it off with a little talk about goals because it's what's on my mind. As I'm over here grinding, it's what is just coming up for me. So as you can see behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, I have my usual background with the gallery wall of our work here at my storefront, but I recently rearranged my office because that's how I get my kicks. Whenever things are feeling stale, whenever I'm meeting a fresh point of view, I just rearrange my office. So I moved my big laminated sheet with all of my monthly huge goals over there. You can see it on that wall underneath the clock if you're watching on YouTube. 
And each month, I chart out what my major goal will be. I do it at the beginning of the year. So I created this big laminated thing in January. And as you know, sort of the course of what you're thinking over a year changes and shifts. But I feel really successful if at least three quarters of the goals are reached. And in the months where the goals are not reached, I've adjusted for a different goal. But... While that's a very powerful tool, I recently started working with a new business coach, Brian Masterson. And as we've been working together, from the very first meeting, he said, Betsy, I want you to think of 10 goals that you would like to accomplish. Really, they could be big, they could be small, they could be whatever you want, but I want you to have 10 goals and I want you to write them down every day. In addition to writing them down, I want you to read them aloud. You can read them aloud while you're writing or after you write them, but you need to speak them every day. I was like, okay, okay. I can write them down every day. That's no problem. So for the first three weeks we were working together, I wrote them down every day. But I was really afraid to say them aloud. Isn't that silly? Like, it's just me and my chihuahua alone in my storefront, why am I afraid to read these things aloud? So I brought that to him. I said, Brian, I've been diligently writing these down every day, but I don't want to speak them. No. And he said, Betsy, the power is in speaking them. And I was like, oh gosh, darn it. So from that day, I started speaking the goals. And I will tell you right now, Brian was 100% correct. These are goals I was planning to achieve like when I'm successful. These are goals I was planning to achieve when maybe three to five years have passed. And now, after having them in my face every day, having them on the tip of my tongue every day, I am accomplishing five of the 10 goals before the end of this year. I think that's pretty radical because I realized as I was reading through them, well, I could do this this week. And I could do this next week. And all of these are pretty within reach. And they may take a little money. They may take a little energy. But half of my goals are something, if I put my mind to it, I could just do it right now. And then as I started doing them, let me give you an example. So I mentioned that I want a massage once a week. That's going to make me feel successful. It's going to make me feel taken care of. One of my other goals is that I want a personal trainer three times a week. Being able to hire a personal trainer just working with me would feel super decadent and would also make me feel like my body is being taken care of. So those are just an example of two of the goals that I could easily accomplish if I wanted to, right? So I looked at those goals after writing them down for, you know, and um, I said to myself, Betsy, let's make that happen. So there's a Pilates instructor down the street, and I signed up immediately for twice a week with her. It's not private, but I feel like that's okay. Like just going to an exercise class feels really good. Going from nothing all during COVID to something is already a leap. So I looked at my calendar and I blocked off two days a week. I didn't even want to go three days a week. Sometimes when we make our goals a reality, I don't know if you've ever discovered this. We don't even really want them. I don't even want to be doing that three times a week. There's other things I'd rather be doing. Then I was like, Betsy, you can pay to get a massage once a week. Does it feel decadent? Yes. Are you going to be able to find the time? 
we'll make it work. But then I realized I don't even want to carve out the time once a week to get a massage. Like twice a month will be amazing for me because right now I get a massage twice a year. So twice a month will already be a huge leap forward. And that's actually more of the goal I really want. So as you're evaluating your goals, maybe write them down, maybe even more powerfully say them aloud, but then make them happen and see if you even really want them. I've been so amazed that as I've been making these five goals come true this year, I was like, huh, well, as I'm actually doing this, I don't know if I want this. Or actually, you know, one of my goals, because I started my career as a painter and I have not painted since I opened my interior design business, except like once with my kids. Uh, so one of my goals was to create a painting a month. I created a painting in November and I felt like a fish out of water, like picking up a brush. How, how much do I load it? How do I prep the paper? But when I got into it, I only spent an hour and I created something I was really proud of and I'm pretty strict and particular, but I look at that painting and I feel really successful. Like those skills that I learned in college are still down there way, way deep. Uh, and I was like, I think I might want to do this more than once a month. So it's funny how your own goals can surprise you and what you think will feel and look like success may ultimately feel like a burden something you don't want. One last thing about goals. I know, I know it's December, but you can re-listen to this episode in January. Uh, one last thing about goals is that at the beginning of each year, January, I started this thing last year based on a business coach that I listened to from Strategic Coach. It's a company that coaches entrepreneurs. And one of the coaches, Lee Brower, who some of you might remember from The Secret, but, um, but he's done other things as well. And now he teaches at Strategic Coach. He said that either he or somebody he works with creates wristbands, like those little Livestrong, Lance Armstrong, rubbery wristbands. You can create them online. I went and got mine at wristbands.com. Very original. But these wristbands, right? And if you can see on YouTube, I have like a much thinner one because I wear them when I'm at work. I don't really wear them on the weekends or at home, but I wear them when I'm at work. And on YouTube, I don't want it to appear to be like one of those thick bands. I want it to almost look like jewelry. So I even got it in a metallic tone. So that way it almost looks just like a silver bracelet, right? And I put on it the words that I want to focus on all year. I just picked three words, and I think that three was maybe a little too much. It's hard to focus on three things at once. So you can choose one word, two words. I would limit yourself to three words. But whenever I'm feeling a little off track this year, I have a bucket over there with all my wristbands because you have to buy them in bulk. Like you have to get 50 at a time or something. And I think I got 50 for $24. And every day I come in, I put one on. Then when I leave, I take it off just because I'm not much of a jewelry person. So having jewelry on already feels awkward, already draws my attention, uh, which is a good thing, but it can distract me at home when I'm cooking or playing with the kids. So anyway, you put those words on the wristband and then you reflect on them throughout the year. So this year, as I've struggled to find a house, 
that's really been, I think, one of my core struggles this year is deciding where we're going to live and what that's going to look like. As I've made business decisions, as I've made personal decisions about where I'm going to vacation, when I'm going to vacation, how long I'm going to vacation, I look to my wristband and say, are these decisions in line with the words I put out there? And is there something that these words from this wristband could tell me about what path I should choose? Anyway, guys, that's what's on my mind because I am in total beast business mode. We are designing for a huge media company. I have a virtual client in rural Minnesota. I have three clients right here in the Westchester area. I have a client in New Jersey. So not only am I running a business and teaching interior design students, but I am practicing what I preach every day. I work all day long. And then I go home and when it's quiet, when Dateline and 48 Hours is on, that's when I get into my artistic groove and burn the midnight oil. It's not always like this. It's not always so busy. But as an entrepreneur, you make hay when the sun shines and the sun, I'm glad to say, has been shining. I hope the sun is shining where you are. I hope that some of those goal anecdotes resonate because, you know, this podcast is really a place for me to share what inspires me as a designer, what drives me as a business person, and what allows me to dig deep and bring you tips and share my experiences because I am literally having design experiences every gosh darn day. I do take free days on the weekend, though, and I completely avoid design discussion, and design experiences. So I try and take Saturday and Sunday totally off as my protected time. And when somebody approaches me and asks me a design question or asks me how my business is going, I say, I'm sorry, today is a free day and I really cannot talk about it. Because even talking about interior design switches something in my brain and I become a totally different person with a different energy. And um, maybe you feel that too. When you're talking about something you're passionate about, of course, it's really exciting, but it can also be depleting and it can also really be a lot. So some days when you don't want a lot, when you just want to be here at this sort of stasis calm, or you want to be with your family, it's nice to be able to shut some things out. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Are you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com, click on podcast to learn more, and to become a premium member today.
So my first question comes from Matthew. Matthew is actually an Academy graduate and he is writing in with a question. Betsy, I want to ask about choosing light fixtures when keeping resale value in mind. I have a client for whom I want to recommend a light fixture that's a little unique and interesting. It consists of a narrow wooden beam with five concrete shades and it would be hung above their kitchen island. They plan to be in their house for five to seven years. Would you consider this a long enough period to go more personal with light fixtures or would it be better to keep more universally appealing for when it comes to listing the house for sale? All right, Matthew. So in my humble opinion, I think of light fixtures like window treatments they're probably not going to be able to go with you. They're typically very house specific. They either need to coordinate with the architecture in terms of their look, or they need to coordinate with the architecture in terms of their scale. Like say these people in seven years move to a different location and their island is much, much bigger. Well, they're going to need a bigger pendant. Say their dining room is much, much smaller. Well, they're going to need a smaller chandelier. So I always think when recommending light fixtures and window treatments to people that really, if you can take them with you, wonderful. And if you can't, that's probably going to be the more than likely scenario. That being said, I don't give a lick about resale value for light fixtures or for window treatments. With light fixtures and window treatments, you want the value. Sorry, guys, for those of you who just saw on um, YouTube, I have to wave because people walk by and that was the friendly mailman. He's so nice. Uh, anyway, where was I? So, uh, small town USA. So... Yeah, for things like window treatments and light fixtures, they are so important, right? Drapes extend practically from the floor to the ceiling. Light fixtures light up, and so they draw attention to themselves. Additionally, they're not going to get stained or broken because they're up high. Nobody's spilling wine on a ceiling flush mount, right? So I do think they're worth investing money. Also, they can show well in pictures, but I would not consider resale value and I would be open to swapping out something that was very edgy when you are showing the space. Because all you really need is a handyman to switch out a light fixture that's already there. All you really need is you know, a ladder to switch out a drape that's already there. So for instance, in my dining room, I have very bold paisley drapes that have every color of the rainbow except for teal and purple. Uh, and teal's not even in the rainbow, but work with me here, right? They are very vibrant, very colorful, and they are not going to be to most people's tastes. I will share a picture of them on YouTube. But yes, they came from Pier 1 and I absolutely love them, but they are a very shiny paisley. And then I have this light fixture that is a knockoff of um, famous design that is glass. So the framework is kind of um, an upside down triangle, right? With the point towards the table but the actual fixture are all these glass discs that are in an opaque sort of milk glass white. And really, 
you know, authentic versions of this are sold on Cherish and First Dibs for over $5,000. And I considered that type of splurge when I was looking at these. But then one of my designers working for me, who I had helped design my house, because designing your own house is really intimidating. Uh, so I had her look at all my selections and help me to really up-level them because I just had a Pinterest board that looked crazy. I just had so many ideas for my dream house that I had a hard time narrowing it down and keeping it sophisticated because it was my personal project. There was so much involved that I couldn't see the forest for the trees. Anyway, uh, so she found me a knockoff on Lamps Plus for $179. And at the time, I had spent a little bit more than I'd hoped on my house, and we were pretty house poor. So the idea of saving four to $5,000 was pretty exciting. And so I went for that one instead. But I'm kind of glad I did because in my next home, you know, the homes I'm looking at, it's probably not going to go. But even if it did match the style of the home, I'm over it. I want something new. I'm a designer. I love to switch things out. I love to embrace what I'm working with. New home is a new opportunity for a new look. So I am basically recommending that you splurge on the light fixtures, splurge on the drapes, knowing it's not a long-term investment. And if you're able to take them with you, if you're still excited about them in the next home, well, just consider it icing on an already delicious cake. And when you're ready to resell, if your real estate agent says, hey, I think these rainbow paisley drapes are going to be a liability, Take them down, swap them for something neutral from Bed Bath & Beyond, and you know you only spend $20 per panel on each replacement, and you got to live for five to seven years with something that really resonated with you and you really loved. Matthew, I hope that helps with your client, and I love to hear that Academy graduates are out there taking clients, running their business, and making their dreams come true. Good for you, Matthew. I have followed your journey from the beginning, and you were such a generous student, always giving and sharing in the Facebook group, always working hard with every module, and I love watching that pay off. Let's go to my next question. My next question comes from Ghani. Ghani is from Israel. Ghani writes, we are renovating a 70s era apartment on a budget. We are looking to install a laminate kitchen, but we don't want too contemporary of a look. The designer at the kitchen place recommends that we do lower cabinets in a dark color and upper cabinets in a light color. One of the options is a midnight blue with a light khaki or a very light blue. She said the kitchen is going to look too heavy if we do only midnight blue. I think two-tone kitchens look like two different kitchens, like someone made a mistake. What's your take? Should I just go for one light shade? Should I do two tones? Should we do a midnight blue only? I've attached the plans for the kitchen. The kitchen faces south, so there's plenty of natural light. Thank you, Ghani. All right, so Ghani, I'm looking at the plans for the kitchen, and there's not a whole lot of cabinetry. So I'm not worried about this looking too, too dark. I do like two-toned kitchens personally, and I go along with the kitchen designer in recommending that you do the lighter color at the top and the darker color at the bottom. I feel like two-toned kitchens are pretty trendy, 
I feel like in 10 years, people are going to see a two-tone kitchen and be like, oh my gosh, that was so 2021. Uh, remember during COVID when we did two-tone kitchens? And I also think blue cabinetry is having a moment right now that's potentially not going to be a lasting trend, right? Something that may be more of a flash in the pan. A lot of people are doing navy or dark blue cabinetry on the bottom or for their center island, and then doing like a gray cabinet on bottom and doing like a white cabinet on top, right? So the island is the color and the rest of the cabinetry is gray on the bottom, white on the top. That's a common theme that I'm seeing as well. If it totally floats your boat, go for it. Like if it's not trendy to you, if it's going to feel awesome to you, do that and do it with confidence because you get tons of natural light. But if personally you feel like two-tone kitchens are not good looking, if you feel like they don't look cohesive or they look like they came from two different worlds, then don't do it. You know, because making these renovation choices is expensive and it's not something that you want to do again for 10 to 15 years. You know, after 10 to 15 years, no matter what you've done, it's going to look dated. So make the choice you want, bearing in mind that it is a big investment. And I don't just think about the cabinets when I'm designing a kitchen. I also want to have the complete design schematic ready for me because each decision impacts the other. So what I mean by complete design schematic is you're going to want to choose your backsplash, your countertop, and your flooring. Also, if there's paint, you're going to want to consider that as well as the appliances. And so I don't make any one choice without thinking holistically. And also you want to think about what this kitchen opens up into. You know, if it's an open living dining concept um, and then you can see the kitchen from the dining area and from the living room, if you do choose to use a lot of midnight blue, you better be bringing that color around to the other rooms. If you don't plan on bringing any dark blue to the other areas, then I wouldn't recommend using it prominently in the kitchen if it's open to those areas. So again, you don't think about renovation choices one by one. You think about the entire space. In fact, if you want to like go off the deep end, as I like to do, I even look at the bathrooms. Now, of course, the bathrooms do not need to coordinate with the kitchen, but everything architecturally needs to look like it came from the same universe. It needs to look like it came from the same time period. It needs to look like it was considered by the same person who had a singular vision for the entire home, but expressed that vision in different ways throughout the space. So when I create a vignette for the kitchen, I either ask my clients, are you happy with your bathrooms? Can I see your bathrooms? Or let's design the bathrooms at the same time, if that's a project you're going to do in the next one to three years. So that way we can ensure that everything is on the same page. That is particularly important for resale value as people are looking through your home because even if everything looks a little bit dated, at least it will look homogenous. If you do everything at a different time from a different point of view, things are not only going to look dated, they're going to look mismatched and problematic.
So Ghani, I hope that helped. Uh, you know, making renovation choices has a ripple effect, as Matthew pointed out. You know, you need to think about resale if you're going to be selling before that 10-year mark. Ask yourself some tough questions and make your own dreams come true because so much time, energy, money, and discombobulation is on the line that you want to make it worth it for yourself. You want to go home and be like, wow, I love this. So I would recommend you don't do two-tone kitchens if you don't like them. I like them, but you're not making my dreams come true. You're making your dreams come true. Guys, whether you're working with goals or renovations or light fixtures, make some dreams come true. Some things are worth the investment of time, energy, and money, even if they're not for the long haul. Bear that in mind and have a wonderful winter week. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.